<clears throat> okay, good morning everyone. Welcome to the Life and Torah of our leaders. Uh, usually scheduled live Tuesday mornings at 11.30 this week. Baruch Hashem had a simcha on Tuesday that I had to attend. And we are giving it the shir today, Thursday, live with First Seder Bismedrish. Um, a special welcome to our Torah Anytime viewers and listeners who will be joining us for this year. And <clears throat> this series for Chaydish Tammuz has been sponsored anonymously. Lila Nishmas, my mother, Arena Kaparas Mishkova, Hinda Bashmula Kayan, and my Shver Zichraina Livracha, Rav Doiv Tzvi, Ben Rav Chaim Zatzal. Today we're going to talk about Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam, who is known, his name was Rabbeinu Yaakov ben Reb Meir, ben Rabbeinu Meir, better known as Rabbeinu Tam, from the greatest Bali Atoisvis, whose yard site was on Monday, Dalit Tammuz, 850th yard site. It was nifted in the year 1171, so Monday was his 850th yard site. <clears throat> Almost a year ago, we, at the end of Tammuz, we talked about Rashi, our Torah Anytime uh, participants. It was, again, one of the shirim before Torah Anytime. It's available on my website. It's a podcast, RabbiDovidAgros.com. And we talked a little bit about Rabbi Nutam when we spoke about Rashi's life. Today we're going to go more in depth into Rabbi Nutam's life. So as we just said, his grandfather was Rashi. Rashi had a daughter, Yecheved, who was married to Rabbi Meir. Rashi got married very young, probably about 15 years old, and his daughter also got married very young, probably about 13 years old, because as we'll see in a little bit, when Rashi was all of 30 years old, before his Rabbeim were nifter, he already had the son, his son-in-law, Rabbeinu Meir. Rabbeinu Meir is one of the Baliatoisvis as well. Rabbeinu Meir, after his marriage to Rashi's daughter, went and learned Torah in Worms, where Rashi himself had learned, Rashi's Rabbeim lived in Germany, Rabbeinu Yitzchak Halevi in Worms was Rabbeinu Meir's uh, Rebbe and Rashi's Rebbe as well. Um, in the Sefer Hapardes Hagadol of Rashi, Simon Reish Lamed Ches, he quotes his son-in-law quoting his Rebbe. He writes, Rabbi Meir Brem Shmuel, meaning my son-in-law Rabbi Meir, So Rashi quotes his son-in-law quoting Rabbi Tzachalevi, who is one of Rashi's Rabbeim as well. While Rabbi Meir, and this is how we know the age, how Rabbi, when Rabbi Meir was learning in Worms, there was a big machlaikis that shook up the entire world between Rashi and his Rabbeim, in regarding checking a lung of an animal, the chiyuv to check a lung for a trefa, bedikas hareya. Um, his rabbeim, Rabbi Yitzchak ben Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yitzchak Halevi, and this is quoted in the Mardchai in Chulin, Parak Aleph, a machlekes that, as I said before, um, shook up the generation. Rashi was being matir without checking the, 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 the uh, lung, and his Rabbeim argued on him, and it was a very, very strong machlaikis. And in Shuvis Rashi, Simon Nuntes, he writes to his son-in-law, Rabbeinu Meir. Now, since we know when Rashi's Rabbeim were nifter, and he wasn't much more than 30, and he's writing to his son-in-law, who is there by his Rabbeim, is how we know that Rashi and his daughter got married at very young ages. 
And he writes, Vani Shloima Ahuvcha. He writes to son in law, I'm Shloima, your beloved. I'm telling you, Kiloi Chazartabi, that I did not retract, and I don't plan on retracting. And I don't agree with the words of my Rabbeim. And he says an unbelievable thing, and I, if I remember correctly, we quoted this in the Shir on Rashi last year. He says, But I am relying and hanging myself on a very big tree, which is his Rashi's first Rebbe, Rabbi Yaakov Bar Yoker. The Re Bar Yoker was Rashi's first Rebbe. Rashi says a Paladika thing, he says an unbelievable thing. He says he's relying on his Rebbe, he says, but I never really heard that my Rebbe was Matarit. But Rashi says, my heart, my logic, and my understanding was all created by my Rebbe. So if I understand something, I'm assuming and I'm sure that my Rebbe, the Rebar Yoker, would hold the same thing, and therefore it's not just me, it's my Rebbe, the Rebar Yoker, who is really paskining this way. And he writes, If they checked the lungs very often, they would find a problem. Rashi holds in to check the lung. And Rashi says, It's very hard for me to throw out and to waste Jewish money on something that is so true and so clear. So that is how we know Rashi's age from this uh, letter that he wrote to his son-in-law. Now after the Rebar, uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Halevi was nifter, Rabbeinu Meir left Worms and he came back to Rashi's yeshiva in France, in Troy, France. And he learned as a Talmud of Rashi. And in Chuvas Ar Zorua, there are some Chuvas there that he writes that Rashi and Rabbeinu Meir answered the question together. So you see that they were learning together. Um, Rabbeinu Meir, as we said, is one of the Bali HaTaisvis, and he Compose Taisvis on many Mesechtas, and he's mentioned many times in Taisvis that we have Rabbeinu Meir, Rashi's son in law. Now, Rabbeinu Meir was called in Chuvas Rashi, he's referred to as Rabbeinu Meir Avi Harabonim, the father of Rabbonim, because he had four sons who were from the great Rabbonim Baliat Taisvis. His first son, Rabbeinu Shmuel ben Meir, otherwise known as the Rashbam, Rashbam stands for Shmuel ben Meir. <clears throat> his second son, now the truth is I saw in different places if his second son was Rabbeinu Tam or third son was Rabbeinu Tam. Um, on the Matseva of where the Kvarim of the Baleataisvis are, um, it has it um, as Rabbeinu Tam, I think, being the, the third son. Um, other places I saw him quoted as the second son. So I'm just going to leave it as the second son was Rabbeinu Yaakov, who we call Rabbeinu Tam. His third son was Rabbeinu Yitzchak ben Meir, known as the Rivam. These are very f- uh, familiar names for learning Taizvis. The Rashbam, the Rabbeinu Tam, and the Rivam. And the third one, wa- uh, the fourth one, I'm sorry, was Rabbeinu Shloime ben Meir, named after Rashi. So he was born after Rashi's death. And he's quoted one time in Shas, I think. And he had a daughter who was named Miriam. He had a daughter named Miriam. As we'll see later, Rabbeinu Tam talks about, there's a story with Rabbeinu Tam, when his sister was Nifter, um, how he was Noeg Avelus. And if you'll go back and listen to the Shiran Rashi, you'll hear exactly a little bit more about this family and extended family of, um, of Rabbeinu Meir. But we're going to focus on Rabbeinu Tam. So Rabbeinu Yaakov was born Be'erech, about the year 1100, 
Rashi was nifter in the year 1105, so he was very young when Rashi was nifter. His father, Rabbeinu Meir, had a yeshiva in a place called uh, Rummerberg, or in, uh, in French it's called Ramaru or something like that. It's spelled R-A-M-E-R-U-P-T, but if I'm correct, the U-P-T is just, is, uh, just uh, pronounced as Ru. So it's Ramaru in France. Um, I saw brought down from the son of Rabbi Sreya Devlitsky, who, who published one of Rabbeinu Tam Svarim. He quoted from a Ksavyad somewhere that it said there that there was a Kabbalah. They had some type of Kabbalah that when Rabbeinu Tam was a young child, he heard a lot of crying going on when Rashi was nifter. And he asked, what's all of these cries? And his mother told him, they're crying that the Ner Yisrael, the light of Klai Yisrael, has been extinguished. And Rabbi Nutam, as a young child, we said he was all of five years old, said, I am going to relight this, uh, this uh, candle that has been extinguished. Now, it's interesting that that Lashon is being used because the Rivash writes as follows, the Rivash writes, Hamar HaGadur Rabbeinu Shloimai, the great um, um, Mar, the great luminary Rabbeinu Shloimai, which is Rashi, Gila Amukais HaTalmud Minichayshech, he revealed the uh, depths of learning Talmud from the darkness. And without Rashi, he says, it would be like a Sefer Chasum, learning Gemara would be a closed book. That's the first luminary. Vahamor Hasheni, who's the second luminary, Rabbeinu Yaakov Ishtam. Rabbeinu Yaakov, the simple person, as we'll see, he's called Rabbeinu Tam, Ishtam. Asher Kamayu Miacha From the time that the Talmud Babli had been sealed and closed and finished in Ravina Ravashi, he says there was no one in Pilpul, there was no one in being able to learn and to ask questions and answers and uh, talk and learning like Rabbeinu Tam. So it's interesting the Rivash actually uses the, uh, the, the title of a luminary, a Ma'ar, and it's interesting in this story is Rabbeinu Tam said that he will relight the candle of Rashi, the Ner Yisrael that had been extinguished with Rashi's Petira. Who were Rabbeinu Yaakov's Rabbeim? So the first, his first Rebbe was his father, Rabbeinu Meir. Um, in Machzer Vitri, it's brought a tshuva from Rabbeinu Tam, where he's talking about the recitation of piyutim. There was a big tumult in times of Rishayim, if you're allowed to say piyutim during davening and during Berchus uh, Kriyishma and during Chazar Sashatz. And over there, he Rabbeinu Tam talks about it. He says it's okay. And there were people who were very upset of Rabbi Lezer Hakalir. Um, the problem was that Rabbi Lezer Hakalir in uh, many places, seems to contradict the Gemara. In fact, if you're holding with the Dafayaymi, in today's Dafayaymi, Rashi actually brings uh, two piyutim from Rabbi Lazar Kalir, which Rashi says one of them um, is, uh, works out well with, with uh, today's Gemara, and one of them does seems to contradict t- today's Gemara. So there was a lot of tainas in Rabbi Lezer HaKalir, and Rabbi Nutam actually went and uh, defended Rabbi Le- Lezer HaKalir, and Rabbi Nutam points this out, 
And he says, Rebbe Lezer Kalir many times went with the Talmud Yerushalmi. He was from Eretz Yisrael, and therefore he went from the Talmud, he, he paskined like the Talmud Yerushalmi. That answers many, many questions that uh, have been asked in Rebbe Lezer Kalir. In fact, Taisvis himself in a few places asks on Rebbe Lezer Kalir and says it's a contradiction to the Gemara. And the answer many times is he follows the Talmud Yerushalmi. That is Rebbe Nutam's defense of Rebbe Lezer Kalir. And he writes and he says, that Shamati Mi'abamari, I heard from my father, my teacher, Rabbeinu Meir, that he heard from his Rabbeim, the Rebbe Lezer Kalir composed the piyot v'chayos esh, is what we, is a piyot that is said on Rosh Hashanah, um, a fire came down, a spiritual fire came down and surrounded him. And um, he learned when he was younger, before he got married, he learned in a place called Lucer. That's where there were there were uh, Baliataisvis there. And from those Rabbeim, they testified that that's what happened. The Mishnabura and Simon Samaches, when he talks about Piyutim, quotes this as well that when Rabbein, that Rabbi Lazar Kalir composed it, this fire came down. He doesn't bring it there, B'Shem Rabbeinu Tam. I think he's quoting Amagan Avram, but the source is this Rabbeinu Tam. So that's one place Rabbeinu Tam quotes his father. In Sefer HaYosher, um, <clears throat> Rabbeinu Tam quotes his father, that his father, you know, when we, we say Kol Nidre, you'll notice in Machzairim, there's different Nuschais. Do you say, Miyoyim Kippurim Shavar, Ajayim Kippurim Zeh? Is it for the past vows? Is it for the present, for the future? Is it both? So, Rabbeinu Tam brings that his father, um, he amended the text of Kal Nidre to say, This Kal Nidre is really not taking care of past vows, it's for future vows. And that's how it should be said. In Nidarim, Davchaf Beis Amid Beis, there's a long run over there that talks about what to do with Kal Nidre. And Rabbeinu Tam over there changes all the words in Kal Nidre that they should be future tense. And this is based on what he's bringing here from his father, that his father said that it's, based, it's, um, it's all for the future, not for, not for the past. Another place in Taish Yishanim and Yuma Daf Lamed Amad Aleph, Rabbeinu Tam brings an interesting thing over there, I'm not sure I understand it clearly, but he's talking about the recitation of the Brach of Asher Yatsar, and he writes actually the minute of my father that he didn't usually make an Asher Yatsar. I, I, I didn't have a time to look up Mefarshim there, my my hashkafa rishayna would be that Asher Yatsar was composed as a bracha in the morning as a haydat hakadosh baruch hu. But Rabbeinu Tam's father seemed to held it wasn't a bracha that one recited every single time he went to the bathroom. He brings over there other rishayim that say you do, and that's how we paskin, obviously. But he says the minig of my father was he didn't recite Asher Yatsar all the time. Very interesting thing. That was his first rebbe. His second rebbe was his older brother. The Rashbam was his rebbe. Um, in Sefer Hayosher, in the Chuvas, in Simon Sadi Beis, he writes, "Nearly Pirishdach Mishnah de Isha Hachi." I think the Pirish of this Mishnah is as follows, and he says, "I remember." That I shekach danti lifnei Rabbeinu Shmuel. This is what I proposed to Rabbeinu Shmuel, and uh, together we explain the Mishnah this way. Um, in Chuvas Marami Rutenberg, Simkuf Mem Dalid. The Maram Rittenberg, we talked about him a few weeks ago. So he was a uh, hundred or so years later or more. And um, he writes to someone, he says, I can't believe you're coming to argue logically on Rabbeinu Tam, who had Kabbalah's Aviv, he had Kabbalah's from his father, 
Umer Rabbeinu Shmuel Achiv, and from Rabbeinu Shmuel, his brother, and from Rashi. How do you think you'll be able to argue with Rabbeinu Tam? So it's another indication that he learned um, by his brother, the Rashbam. He had a third Rebbe, who's another from the Bali Ataisus that's quoted sometimes in Shas, Rebbe Yosef Toiv Elam, Ayin Lamid Mem. Um, in Sefer Yasher, he writes, Vani Shimashti Lefanov, that I served in front of him, meaning I learned from him. So those were the three primary Rabbeim of Rabbeinu Tam, his father, Rabbeinu Meir, his older brother, Rabbeinu Shmuel, the Rashbam, and Rabbeinu Yosef Taiv Elop. Why is he called Rabbeinu Tam? So as we saw before, he's called Rabbeinu Yaakov Ishtam. He was a simple person based on the Pasuk, the Yaakov Ishtam Yosheva Halim. Some say the reason why he got a nickname is because in a lot of times in the Baliataisvis, when they quote the different Baliataisvis, they write it in abbreviations. So there's another Baliataisvis, Rabbeinu Yitzchak, the Ri. So if you're Rabbeinu Yaakov is also the Ri, you'll get mixed up. So they gave him a nickname and called him Rabbeinu Tam to differentiate between the two Ri's. But why Rabbeinu Tam? Why Tam? Because of, as we said, Rabbeinu Yaakov Ishtam from the Pasuk V'Yaakov Ishtam Yeshev Halim. Now, after his father was Nifter, he also led the yeshiva in Ramaru, in, in, uh, in, in France. And um, at one time, 80 of the Bali Hataisvis were his Talmidim. Um, all of them became great Gedolim. Some of his famous Talmidim was Rebbe Lazar Mimitz, um, the Rash Mishans, Rebbe Nushimshim Mishans, Rebbe Yosef Bukhar Shar, the Rihalavan. These are famous Bali Hataisvis quoted in the Taisvis. And like we said, Many, many more, 80 Baliataisvis um, in one Tkufa. That was just from one Tkufa. He had 80 Baliataisvis learning by him um, at one time. The Rivash writes, Yisrael He says, Any Chachmi Yisrael that are found today. And the Rivash lived um, in the mid to late 1300s. He was born in 1326. He was Nifter in 1408. So he says, All the Chachmi Yisrael in our days. Kulam keklipas hashum, they're like nothing, like a peel of garlic, uchegar gershumshum, and a little sesame seed, nek neged echon mi talmidov hakitanim. Compared to one of the smallest talmidim of Rabbi Nutam, he says, all Chachmi Yisrael today are like nothing compared to the smallest of the talmidim of Rabbi Nutam. Um, as we said, most Baliataisvis were either Rabbeinu Tam's Talmidim or his uh, descendants. So he's known really as like the father of the Baliataisvis. Um, in the Sefer Shalshelis HaKabbalah, he writes there, Roisi Kuntras Yashin, I saw an old uh, pamphlet that Rabbeinu Tam was an Usher Gadol. He was extremely, fabulously wealthy, and he was beloved in the court of the king of the time. In Agoyz Maimonis, he brings that Rabbeinu Tam's business was money lending. He would lend to Goyim Beribis, and he, and he would take collaterals for it, and he was very wealthy that way. It was one of the, uh, the common ways of making uh, Parnasa for Jews in those days, and Rabbeinu Tam was extremely wealthy from that. What's very interesting to note is, and this is something I quoted in a shir I give between Mincha Mayriv, in the Shul Halacha Shir, we're learning the Halachas of Ribis now, reviewing just the main components of Halachas of Ribis. So there's a Shaila, the Gemara in Baba Metziah, Daf Ayin Amid Beis, seems to say that although one is allowed to charge a guy Ribis, there's an Isidurabonon to lend a guy Beribis, Shloyim We don't want you to be too involved with Goyim because eventually you might learn from their ways. 
So Taisvis over there is bothered and he says, Mashanoagu Atalahalvas Lenakrim. Taisvis says, nowadays this is a common thing for us to lend money to Goyim with interest. So Rabbeinu Tam himself gives three reasons why it's mutter. Now Taisvis doesn't tell us why Rabbeinu Tam is the one who said it, and of course he would say it anyways, but it happened to have been Rabbeinu Tam's business. And the last reason, first Rabbeinu Tam says, we don't pass him like that, Mandamar. But this, his last uh, tarot he writes is, We live amongst the Goyim. And he says, There's no way for us to make any parnasa without doing business with the Goyim. Forget money lending. Any type of parnasa is done with the Goyim. So he says, We have to come on and have a relationship, a business relationship with them. And since we have to do it, even though there's a concern, but if not, we're not going to be able to live. So he says, therefore, there's no reason why we should prohibit lending money beribis more than any other types of business with Goyim, because nowadays we Pasha don't have any choice. So again, it's just very interesting to note that was Rabbeinu Tam's business, and he was very wealthy from, from, uh, from his money lending. Um, now another very interesting thing, the Maril, in Likutim, at the end of his Sefer Maril, um, there are, Maril also, I think, lived uh, in 1300, that neighborhood. And um, he was Talmud of Maram Rutenberg. And um, he writes over there that Me'idim Rabbeinu Tam, they would testify, they said about Rabbeinu Tam, that he wanted to learn something, a very um, a hard sugya, halacha chamura. He wanted to learn a hard sugya, and he needed like a benucha sanefesh to be able to learn a hard sugya. A person has to be comfortable, a person, his mind can't be, um, you know, distracted. So he has to be in a good frame of mind. So what would Rabbeinu Tam do? He would put on the table in front of him, tell Shelzehuvim, a pile of golden clo- co- of coins. And he would look at them, and it would make him happy. Once he was happy and he was in a good mood, then he was able to learn with all of his strength and go into this, the sugya uh, chamura or the halacha chamura that he wanted to uh, clarify. What was his derech halimud? So we know, you learn a taisus, you know his derech halimud. He asks a question and he gives a teretz and he makes chilukim. If you remember, we talked about the idea of Pilpul in Poland hundreds of years later. It really, the source of the concept of taking two sugyas, asking a question, and then differentiating, this sugya is talking about this, this sugya is talking about that, that comes from the Baliyat Taisvis. And who was the Mechadish of that Mahalach of learning? Was Rabbeinu Tam. Could be he got it from his father, Rabbeinu Meir, as well. But he seems to be the father of different than Rashi. As we said, Rashi was Mefarish. Rashi wasn't so much into asking um, from different sugyas, but that's how Rabbeinu Tam learned. And in Sefer HaYosher, in Shuvas Nunvav, he's talking to one of his Talmidim, and he says, Ki You know my way, Lahakshois, to ask questions, Lahamid Shmuis Yesharis, in order that things should be very clear and very straight. I don't give answers that are like a dachok, very, you know, because we're forced to say it. And then he says something very interesting. He says, My questions are really the answer. You know, sometimes when you learn a taisvis, you learn the question, and you want to go straight to the answer. 
when you're, you know, Bachram in yeshivas and Rosh Hashivas, they sit on the question for a long time. And they want to get the question very clear. Rabbeinu Tam says, my question is already the answer. Meaning the question itself, you could find, I guess, the beginnings of the answer. And he writes, Venam Tzrichem Teret. Sometimes they don't even need an answer because if you truly understand my question, you'll already see the chiluk between the two, the two sugyas that I'm trying to, to answer. That's the Lashon of Rabbeinu Tam. Um, he was very against, I guess at that time already, people were making pilpulim and building on this, this type of limud. And he writes, he says, there's certain pilpulim, umitoich pilpulam, shinu pirish rabbi seinu, and because they just want to exercise and say chidushim, they actually change from what rabbi seinu wanted to say. And if we're going to paskin like these pilpulim, it's not going to work out because the way they're explaining the sugya, it's not the way the halacha is. And therefore, he says, He writes a very interesting pun, play on words. He says, All of them have a pircha, meaning a question, Bar mehai, except for mine. In other words, it was he was saying pshat in the Gemara, and he's saying all the other pilpulim, they all, you could shlug them up, except for mine, even though it doesn't have palpulin. Palpulin literally means pepper. And this is a, a pun on a Gemara in, in, in Megillah of Zion, where the Gemara says, all the Manda Amrim, we could slug them up, except for Shmuel. And it says over there, it's better to have one sharp uh, pepper, better than having a bunch of dull uh, melons or something like that. So, so Rabbeinu Tam is playing on that and he's saying, they all have a pircha, except for me, even though I don't have the pepper, I don't have the palpalin. And it's a play on the words of palpalin and pilpul to say that I don't have the pilpul, but everybody else we could slug up and my pshat is the correct pshat. Now his famous sefer, besides for his toisvis, is sefer Hayosha. And the Chida writes, I was to get the manuscript In it there is an explanation of different sugyos. And at the end there is some chuvas. And that Sefer Hayosha we have today split into two volumes, Chidushim and Chuvas. Now in the preface, Rabbeinu Tam writes that he wrote, he called the Sefer Sefer Hayosha because of the words of Pikude Kol Yisharti, which is a pasuk in Tehillim Kufiyotes, and he says, because I'm here to make the Torah, the words of the Torah Yasha. And what does that mean? There was a lot of problem with the right girsa and text in different Gemaras. And he says many people at that time were coming and amending the Gemaras because they Pasha didn't understand the Gemara, so they had a Kasha, and they said, oh, must be, you have to change the girsa. And he says, these were girsas that never were, and, uh, and people would just come and change them. And he writes, even though Rabbeinu Gershom or HaGoyla, who lived probably a hundred years before him, or so, or, or maybe a little more, um, cursed, or put a cheirem, on any person who changes and amends the text of the Talmud, he says, it didn't really help, still people were changing things. And therefore what he wanted to do he wanted to show how the true girsa is correct and how you learn the sugya. People would change the words of the Amaroim and the Tanoim. This is not something that could happen, he writes. And he says, even though Rabbeinu Shleimah Rashi also changed girsas, 
But if you'll notice, Rashi never changes the girsa in the Gemara in his, well, we don't have Rashi's Gemara, but Rashi would change a girsa in his pirush. Meaning Rashi would say, this is the right way to have the girsa. But Rabbeinu Tam says, I looked at his Gemara, he never crossed out the Gemara and changed it. In his pirush, he says, it would seem to me that this girsa is incorrect. But he never went and actually changed the current girsa that existed. He says the only place Rashi did that was in Masech Tezvachim. Interesting. In Masech Tezvachim, Rashi did go and change the gears in the Gemarim himself. Um, and he says, and it, that's, Rabbeinu Tam says, that's the right way to do it. You don't understand the sugya, so you have a right to say pshat, he says. You have a right to think that the girsa might be different. He says, but you can't just erase it because you feel that way. Sometimes you don't understand the sugya here, but you'll get to another sugya which will clarify it. And you went and changed the girsa because you didn't understand it in one place. You can't do such a thing. Um, and he says, if everyone's going to make changes, we're going to lose our whole, our whole Messira. And he's very upset at, at his brother, his Rebbe, the Rashbam. He says, Rabbeinu Shmuel, Rashi would, for every one time Rashi would be Magia something, Rabbeinu Shmuel did 20 of them. And he's very upset that the Rashbam went and was Magia things in, in, in Svarim without either saying a Pshat, instead saying a Gubshat, and just go and amend the text. And he says sometimes he went and he actually erased things in the Gemara itself. And he says, I know, I know because he was such a Talmachacham and from his pilpul, he says, but it's, it's not the right thing to do. And he says, I'm going to show you in two or three places where Rashi changed the Girsa, I'm going to show you the only true way to understand the Sugya is actually with the original Girsa. And that's the only Rashi's Girsa I don't even understand. And sometimes you find this in Taisus and Rabbeinu Tam. He'll bring a Rashi's girsa. He'll, he'll say, Rashi, change the girsa. The first girsa is the right way. Second girsa is the right way. You'll find this. And this is what Sefer Hayasher is really um, all about. Now, <clears throat> there was one of the Baliyat Taisvis, Rebbe Frayim from the city of Boin, Bon, B-O-N, um, B-O-N-N, I think, um, from France. And he wrote sort of, um, he lived in the times of the Crusades. And Rabbeinu Tam lived in the in this time as well. He uh, from the Baliyatosis. Rabbi Ephraim lived from the year twelve hundred to eleven eleven thirty two, and he saw. I'm sorry, eleven thirty two to twelve hundred. So he was in Rabbeinu Tam's days, and he saw this was the Second Crusades. And Rashi's life was the First Crusades, and we talked about that in Rashi's life. So this was the Second Crusades, and he wrote down. He saw a lot of the atrocities of the Crusades, and he wrote down, and he made tzvilos and made um, kinois for the terrible atrocities of the Crusades. So he writes that on the second day of Shavuos in 1146, the Crusades come, came to the city of Rabbeinu Tam, Ramaro, and they came into his house. They took everything out of the house. They tore a Sefer Torah in front of him. They took him out to the field and they told him, are you going to convert to Christianity? They told him, if not, we're going to kill you. And they hit him on the head Five times they hit him very hard on the head and they said, you're the greatest person in Klai Yisrael. We're going to take Nikama of Yoshka against you because Yoshka also was hit in his head five times. He was wounded and therefore we're going to whack you in the head five times as well. And they come out, killed him. And at that moment, Vayaman Hashem Sargadol, a certain um, high-ranking officer who it seems Rabbeinu Tam knew from his business, came and found them and Rabbeinu Tam called him over. I guess they were still plotting what to do with him. 
And Rabbeinu Tam told him that I'll give you um, uh, 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 five five golden coins if you get me out of this. So this officer went to the Crusades, the people who were beating him up and wanted to kill him, and he said, listen, get, don't kill him yet. Give me a day. I'll convince him to convert to Christianity. And if not, if he doesn't convert, then tomorrow you could have him back and you could kill him. And uh, that's how Rabbeinu Tam was saved. Obviously, he, he took the money and he let Rabbeinu Tam run. And um, so Rabbeinu Tam was almost killed by the Crusades in 1146 on the second day of Shavuos. Because of this, he left Ramiro and he went to Troit, where Rashi had uh, been the, the Rashiva there, which is about 35 kilometers south of Ramiro, same neighborhood. In um, the year 1160, in Troyes, there was a, um, a big asif of Rabbanim. And they made many takanas to uh, strengthen Yiddishkeit in Klai Yisrael. And Rabbeinu Tam was at the, the head of this asifa, of this convention. And there were many different uh, takanas they made. One of them is that you're not allowed to be ma'arer on a get. Once a divorce is given, no one's allowed to come and say, maybe there's a problem, maybe there's this. It's a cheirim of Rabbeinu Tam. And if uh, any time, even adayei mazeh, when a get is given, after the get is given, the person who took care of arranging the get makes an announcement that there is a cheirim from Rabbeinu Tam on being ma'ar on a get after it's, it's given. That was from this asifa. Um, I guess they needed, they needed um, chizuk in not going to secular courts. That was one of the things also they talked about there. Um, there was another very famous takana that's brought down in Shulchan Aruch Eben Ezer that Rabbeinu Tam made that if a woman got married and she died without any children in the first year of marriage, so the entire dowry that um, was received from her father should go back to her father and does not go to her husband. Alpidin, it goes to her husband, but Medutam made this takana that if she dies in the first year, everything goes back to the father. Um, there was uh, halachas of divorce as well. It seems uh, divorce was, was very prevalent for not, no good reason. And he made a takani, you can't divorce a woman unless you have a good reason for her. And you're not supposed to leave your wife either unless you're going to learn Tyro or you need to make Parnasi, become a traveling salesman. But Stamazai, I guess, it may have been uh, something you just see from the takana what was going on at the, at the time. Let's just say some halachas from Rabbeinu Tam's lifetime that is brought down. The Russian Meidkat and Paragimel brings, he says, I heard that Rabbeinu Tam, every Shabbos, received the Ali of Shlishi. And then one Shabbos, he was sitting Shiva, he was in Avelus. So the halacha is that an Avel is also in Divrei Taira. So he's not supposed to get an Aliyah. So they didn't call him up, the Chazin, the Shami, the Gabbai didn't call him up for an Aliyah. But Rabbeinu Tam walked up himself. And he said, because if I don't go up, it's Avelus Befarhesia. You're not allowed to have Avelus in public on Shabbos. And since everyone knows every week Rabbeinu Tam gets this Aliyah, if he wouldn't take the Aliyah, it would be Avelus Befarhesia. And that, that story plays a big role in Hilchas Avelus about Avelus Befarhesia. Taisus and Brachas brings, we mentioned this earlier in the Shir, Maisa Shemesa Achoisa Shabbeinu Tam, Rabbeinu Tam's sister Miriam was Nifter on Shabbos, and they told the Temamatsu Shabbos. And he was in a different city than her. Now when Oinein, someone uh, who a close relative is Nifter before the burial, and Oinein is not allowed to eat meat or drink wine. Rabbeinu Tam ate meat and he drank wine and he said, since she has a husband who is obligated to take care of her kvura, that means it's not my obligation. If it's not my obligation, he says, I'm not an Oinein, and therefore I'm allowed to drink 
uh, wine and eat meat. And Taisvis writes over there, could be Rabbeinu Tam would hold that way even if he was in the same city as his sister, but since it was not his achrayis, it was her husband's achrayis, he probably would have been mater too. And again, this is a very big source in Hilchas Avelis. Taisvis and Avayi Dezara Dav Chafalof Rabbeinu Tam is of the opinion on Hilchashab, in Hilchas Shabbos that if you have a contractor who's, who's hired by the job, he's called a kablon, so he's actually allowed to work on Shabbos and build your house on Shabbos. Rabbeinu Tam holds that's mutter, and it's brought in Shulchan Aruch in, in uh, Hilchas Shabbos. But Taisvah says over there, even though Rabbeinu Tam was makel by kablonos, however, he was machmer for himself. And when he built a house for himself, he did not let the Goyim build it on Shabbos, even though they were um, hired by the job, they were Kablanim, still for himself he was Machmer. The Abu Dram in the Seder of Tfilus Rishchaydeh Shechalias B'Shabbos writes that you don't mention Shabbos in Yalaviyavah. You just say Rishchaydeh Shazeh. There were some who wanted to say you should mention Shabbos. You should say Yoim Hamanoyach Hazeh. That's how the Svardim say Shabbos. We Ashkenazim just say Yoim Shabbos Hazeh Ves Yoim whatever Chagamatzis Hazeh. They say Yoim Hamanoyach. And he says some wanted to say it. And he writes... Rabbi Nutam was once in a shul, and the Shliach Tzibur got up and he said in Yalavi Yavoy, he said, Yoim Hamanoyach today Shabbos plus Rishchaydish. So Rabbi Nutam said, Manoyach Am The Gemara calls Manoyach the father of Shimshon and Am because he walked after his wife. So the um, Rabbi Nutam talked about this person who said, Yoim Manoyach. He said, Yoim Manoyach, the Manoyach Am by saying that that person was an Am um, now, the, the, the end of Rabbeinu Tam's life is as follows. This is something that um, I mentioned in a shir about Chaf Sivan last year. Um, we know Chaf Sivan having to do with Tach Vitat. We talked about it last year in one of these shiurim. And, um, but there's another part of Chaf Sivan. In the year 1171, there was a city in France called Blois, B-L-O-I-S, or Bleich as it's called in, in Lashon HaKadosh. It's about 250 kilometers southwest of where Rabbeinu Tam lived in Troyes. And there was a blood libel. Now blood libels um, were, the first blood libels were in England, Norwich, England, in the year 1144. So in 1171, this is the first mainland Europe blood libel. It was just in its infancy. And it, so 1144 was the first one in England. This is 1171, 25 years later or so. And the story is as follows. Um, um, there was a, the story, and this is brought also by some of the Baliataisvis um, who recorded this story. There was a Jew named Yitzchak ben Elazar who was walking by a river in this city of Blois and he was wearing a leather garment that wasn't leather, it was just actually the hide, it was not yet tanned. So on the underside was very white. Um, and there was a guy there who was bringing his master's horses to drink from the water. And the horse got spooked when he saw the underside of the hides that was on the Jew. It, 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 um, the wind made it flap up and he was able to see under. And this horse got spooked and he wouldn't go near the water and he wouldn't drink. And this, uh, this Gaish servant, boy servant, um, he knew from the, uh, from the priests that around Pesach time, the Jews are always killing uh, children. Again, it was a new thing, but this is a new Chiddush that they heard, and you've got to be very careful. So 
he decided that must be the Jew, what's he doing at the river, why the horse gets spooked, must be because he threw a kid in there. So he went back to his master and he said that he saw a Jew throw a child into the river and even the horse who heard the splash got spooked from it. So the head of the, his master was a rich person. He was all excited now. He didn't like the Jews at all. And he ran and he told it to the Count of uh, Blois, who was the son-in-law of Louis VII of France. His name was Theobald, the son of Theobald. So um, he was a big achzer. They called him in France, they called him the good one. But he was a big achzer. And he took all the Jews in Blois. Now how many people lived there already? 31, 32 Jews. It wasn't a big town. He took them all and he threw them in jail. And uh, so he was planning on maybe that they should uh, ransom themselves out and something like that. But the bishop heard about it. Again, this is a Meridic opportunity. One of be on the be a big splash, one of the first mainland blood libels. And uh, the bishop heard about it and he came and said, no, there's no way that they could pay their way out. They have to be killed. And he says, but I, we have to prove that, this is, that they're guilty. So how are we going to prove it? So they had an unbelievable way of proving things in those days. They would take the accuser and they would put him in a vat of water. If he floated, it was a proof that he said the truth. If he would sink, it was a proof that he wasn't saying the truth. Now they also would put floaters under his uh, bathing suit or whatever it was, so to fix the system here. So they made sure that Itaka floated. They threw the stable boy in and he floated. Araya Brura, a very clear proof that he's saying the truth and we have to kill all the Jews. So they took all the Jews and they put them in a wooden house about, surrounded by thorns and thicket to make the fire, uh, they're going to burn them alive. But they told them, if you convert to Christianity, you'll be saved. And of course, they stood strong and they said, no, we're not doing it. And um, then the Goyim took out three of the leaders. Two of them were from the Bali Talmidim of Rabbeinu Tam, Rabbi Chil ben Rabbeinu David HaKayin, and Rabbi Kusil ben Rabbi Yehuda HaKayin. And a third one was uh, one of the, the uh, leaders of the town, Rabbi Yehuda ben Aaron. They took the three of them and they tied them to a stake and they were going to burn them in front of the house, in front of the other Jews that were still in the house, thinking that maybe that would get them to change their mind. So they lit the fire around these three Yidin, and what happened was that the ropes around there that, was binding them to, that were binding them together, uh, their hands together, uh, snapped, and they walked right out of the fire. Now they said, you guys have in your religion and in your laws that if you walk out of a fire, you're, you're innocent, so we should be free according to your laws. But of course they wouldn't give up, so they schlepped them and pushed them back into the house. But they were also pretty strong, and they pulled in one of the executioners with them into the house. So now you have 33 Jews plus the executioner in there, and they're waiting to start to light to burn the house. Eventually the Goyim got the executioner out, and they lit the house on fire, and they burned them alive, and uh, they all died al-Kiddush Hashem. Um, and the Goyim said afterwards they heard an unbelievable sweet nigun coming out of the house. And they said to some other Jews that, were, that were, came or whatever, they came across. And they said, what was that? And they said they were singing, This is as how they went to their, their, their deaths. Now, whatever Pella happened there, that when they went afterwards and they were burnt, their bodies were actually not burnt. It was like Nadav and Aviu. Nishmasam Nisrafu. They, 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 they died of, of, the, of the fire but their bodies remained um, unburnt, and the Goyim also were like going crazy from it, and they said they must be pious tzaddikim, these people, if we burnt down the house, and even though they died, they actually didn't get burnt, but they didn't let their bodies be buried for a very long time. Eventually, they were brought to Kuras Yisrael. Now, this story happened on Chof Sivan. 
Rabbeinu Tam was broken from this story. Rabbeinu Tam was broken, 33 Yidin were burnt, or 31, 32, whatever the number is, in the 30s, were burnt alive, two of them being his Talmidim. Rabbeinu Tam was broken from the story. Rabbeinu Tam decreed that there is a there has to be Chav Sivan, he made it into a day of Hespid Vitainus. And he writes a Paladika thing, he writes, This fast should be bigger, So it's like a play on the words of the different fasts. And it was a he made for France, for, Ra- for Germany, and for England, that Chof Sivon is a Tainus. This is why later on in, in, in the 1600s, in Tachvetat, they picked Chof Sivon, because this day already was a day of Tainus from the days of Rabbeinu Tam for, uh, Western, for Western Europe. Rabbeinu Tam was so broken by this, um, a mere two and a half weeks later, so this happened on Chav Siva in 1171, so he was Nifter on Dalit Tammuz, that's 14 or so days later. Two, two weeks later, Rabbeinu Tam was Nifter from the brokenheartedness of this first blood libel, and his Talmidim and so many Yidin were, were uh, these Yidin were killed, al-Kiddush al, al, uh, Hashem. Taisus in Ksubis Kuf Gimel Ahmed Beis, the famous Taisus says, Rabbeinu Chaim Kayim writes, if I would have been there when Rabbeinu Tam was Nifter, I would have been Metamitim, even though I'm a Kayan. Because the Gemara says, the day Rebbe was Nifter, Butla Kedusha, Rabbeinu Chaim Kayim understands that Kedusha to mean Kedusha's Kahuna, which means to say that a Kayan could be Metamit to these Sadikim. So it wasn't only the days of Rebbe, the Tanoim, Rabbeinu Chaim Kayim has said, I would have been Metamit to the body of Rabbeinu Tam as well. Rabbeinu Tam, even though he was Nifter in Troyes, he was buried in the family's plot in Ramaro. Over there is uh, Rabbeinu Tam, I think the Rivam's there. Many of the Balitaisus are buried in that cemetery in, in Ramaro in France. And that is the life of Rabbeinu Tam. Like we said, Monday was his 850th yard site. I think hopefully it gives us a little bit of a, more of an appreciation when we learn the Taisus of Rabbeinu Tam to understand who he was and what he was, at least a little bit. And Bez Hashem, he should be a Megan for Gantz Kla Yisrael. Kol Tov everyone. Have a wonderful day.